Have you ever been excited about a big idea or felt motivated to act on a cause that really lights a fire beneath you? But then the fear of judgment, not knowing the next steps, and just overall self-doubt get in your way? Then you are in the right place. Hello friends, and welcome to Driving Well Indigenous. I'm your host, Jill Featherstone. In this podcast, we will hear from movers and shakers and change makers who are out there doing the work and have come to share their stories to help make our journeys just a little bit more easier. So buckle up and let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Ted Williams. So Ted was first elected as chief in his reserve when he was 29 years old, and he was also a counselor at 25 years old, and he is the chief of his reserve today. So welcome, Ted. Welcome to the podcast today. So excited to have you. It's going to be here, Jill. All right. So I w- you do so many things. You know, you're not just the, the chief of your reserve. You just have this huge background, this so many things that we get to talk about today. But first, can you tell us a little bit about where you come from? Uh, I come from uh, the Chippewas of Rama, Rama First Nation, Rama Reserve, Rama Band. And uh, Rama is about 90 minutes north of Toronto on uh, Lake Kuchichin. And uh, I've lived here all my life. I come from a family of 15. I've got, uh, I had 14 other brothers and sisters, 12 of which are still uh, with us today. My mom and dad, uh, my mom comes from a neighboring community and they met uh, just after the war uh, in the late 40s. Uh, and they got married and my mom, she had 14 children uh, before she was 32. So I have a high regard to my, for my mom and my father for raising 14, 14 children in Rama. I'm in the middle of uh, the 15 kids. And uh, so I grew up in Rama. One of the stories that I tell is... Uh, when we grew up, I, I was uh, I did kindergarten and grade one in a two-room schoolhouse, and uh, the two-room schoolhouse is one of the only two or three buildings in the reserve that had running water and indoor toilet. And so, as children, uh, that was a novel experience to go to the uh, uh, bathroom, you know, <laughs> uh, in 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 the community. So I went to kindergarten and grade one uh, there, and then. Uh, they closed the school after grade one, and we were all bussed into Aurelia, uh, the neighboring city, which is the current population is about 35,000 people. At the time, there was about 20,000 people. And uh, so we, uh, I went to school in Aurelia, bussed into Aurelia each and every day. So I went to public school there, and then I went to high school. I like to tell people that I did grade nine for three years. And mm-hmm. uh, I tell people that uh, grade nine was the best three years of my life. <laughs> And uh, the reason I say grade nine was the best three years of my life is because I didn't skip school when I was uh, the first year. I lacked uh, self-esteem, self-worth, and uh, I I didn't skip school, but uh, I really didn't apply myself. And so uh, I had to repeat uh, going to school, uh, grade nine. The second year I went, I I got into a a bad crowd and uh, I... uh, I started skipping school. Subsequently, I, I got kicked out uh, when I was 15. And uh, I uh, started to do labor jobs, uh, piling lumber, hauling bricks and, and mortar, mixing mortar. And, and uh, uh, because my dad said, uh, you're not going to stay here for nothing. And so I went, I went to work. Uh, but I was, uh, when I skipped school, I was, I was in the pool hall. Uh, 
playing pool. I wasn't very good. Uh, and, uh, but over the course of time, I became a, a, a very good snooker player mm-hmm. and uh, actually one of the best in, in, in town. And I actually played uh, the Canadian and subsequently world champion, Cliff Thorburn, uh, in 1977. And I like to tell people that if it wasn't for me, Cliff Thorburn wouldn't have been world champion because he had to go through me uh, to become a world champion. And so misspent youth to, uh, during uh, during those years, 73 to 75, uh, I was a hustler. Mm-hmm. I was a hustler in the game of snooker. And, uh, uh, you know, at the time, uh, it wasn't something that I, I, I could even be proud of. It was just something that I did. Mm-hmm. But something in uh, in me caught the eye of my, my aunts. And my aunts said to me, and this is important for your listeners, my aunt said to me, you're going to do something. You're going to be someone. You're going to be some, someone important. We can just see it. And I'm like, I don't know what they meant. And I'm like, I appreciate it. But it stuck with me. <clears throat> and subsequently, I hung on to that. The other story I tell about is when I was with my dad and we went to the old council hall. And my dad, we walked up the stairs into the hall and there was half a dozen older gentlemen sitting around a table. And uh, after we left, my dad would spoke to them in the, in the uh, Ojibwe language. And we were talking on the way home. And I said, who are those guys? And my dad said, well, that's, that was your chief. And that was your, your council members. And I said, well, what do they do? Well, they lead the community. They make decisions on the community. And it was at that particular time, I said to myself, self-talk, one day, one day I will become chief. I will become chief one day. And I would say that to myself frequently. I wouldn't say it in the company of anyone else. Mm-hmm. It would just be me. Uh, and I had a mission. I had a goal that one day I would be chief. But I, I, I figured I'd be 50 years old by the time I become chief because the, the chief and the members of council, they were all 50. You're right. <laughs> and so what happened was I kept saying it, saying it. When I turned of age to run for council, uh, I was the first time I, I ran for council, I was 23. Uh, I lost by one vote. Oh. A good friend of mine, uh, she said, you vote for me, I'll vote for you. Together, we'll, we'll, we'll be great. Well, I had uh, 60 votes and she had 61. <laughs> and so I looked at her and I said, did you vote for me? Did you vote for me? Because we only lost by one. She said, of course I voted for you. <laughs> and uh, it was the last position on council. And so I could have asked for a recount, but she was a great person. And, uh, you know, I said, no, you do it. And uh, so she she was the council member in 1980. And then I ran again in 1982 and I was successful. I ran again in 1984 and I was successful. And during that time uh, of my tenure uh, in my third year, elders came to me and they said to me we we think you should run for chief and i'm like but i'm only 29 i've i've I've, you know i'm not as experienced Mm -hmm. and the elders in the community said we feel that you are ready though you're you're like and you're like an experienced individual we i said well if you get your families to vote for me i will run and they said oh yeah no they'll vote for you so i ran for chief and lo and behold i I won and I, I became chief at 29 and uh, I didn't realize what I had done at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't realize it until a couple of years later. Uh, and this is the power 
of self-talk, this is the power of the subconscious mind. All of the self-talk of becoming chief, going back to when I was 12, realized itself 17 years later as, a, as I became chief. And the power of the subconscious mind is something that we all have. Our mind is our most valuable asset. How we think is our most valuable asset. You can actually influence people right this moment on the other side of the world just by thinking about them. Uh, and we know examples of where you have thought about someone. I know you have, uh, Joe. You've thought about someone. Uh, you say, well, I wonder how they're doing. And the next thing you know, <laughs> they call. <laughs> there they are. They call. You bump into them around the corner. They send you mail, you know, or they'll, they'll, they'll make a phone call to you. Why? It's because your mind, you had, you actually sent them the message that I'm thinking about you. I'm wondering how you are. So they call you or they meet up with you or they send you a message and you're like, oh, what? what? <laughs> this is freaky. Uh, oh, I know. That's uh, so often I'll, when that happens, I'll be like, oh, I'm in alignment. <laughs> Well, what it is, is you're, you're, you're implementing the power of the subconscious mind. You're drawing into your life people, places, circumstances, and situations that you think about. Uh, and so when I, when I think about my own success, and I didn't realize what I was doing uh, when I turned 12, but I was, I was affirming my future. I was affirming my future. I didn't realize it at the time. And I didn't realize it when it happened. It was only after I started to educate myself that I realized, and I come across material where we talked about the super, superconscious mind, the subconscious mind. I'm like, that's what I did. That's what I did. That what you think about consistently over a period of time has to, has to be brought into reality. That's a profound statement. It's like, whoa, if I was to go walk around talking like that, people are like, what is up with that guy? <laughs> Can but, I share something with you really of quickly? Of course. Okay, um, so because you're on that topic, I want to share something with you that I don't even think I've ever shared with anybody. I have this, like, it's just this book. It's kind of like a workbook I created. It's called Dream, Believe, Do. It says a workbook dedicated to manifesting your best life. And I do like I talk about the subconscious in here, but what it is, it's basically you write things down, like mm -hmm. 10 things that you want for your life and you write them down every single day for four months. And it's just like, so it's just basically this book fill, filled with empty pages where you have to like write what you want every day for four months. Um, so when I did this exercise for myself, one of the things that I wrote on there is it starts off, I'm so happy and grateful now that, and then I wrote, now that I'm living in my dream home. And um, I remember when I was first writing that down, I actually, I have it in front of me right here. I can give you the date. The, the very first day that I, I wrote that was February 27th, 2020. And it just, it says right here, my very first line, I am so happy and grateful now that I'm living in my dream home. And I remember before I wrote that, I was thinking, well, but you have no money <laughs> and you have no like down payment. Why are you going to write that for yourself? You don't like, you don't have your down payment. You're not in a position to, to buy a house. And then I reminded myself, 
but that doesn't mean that one day I won't. So I wrote it anyway. And then I continued to write that for myself every day. And I moved into my dream home July 31st or July 30th, 2020. So February, March, April, May, June, July, five months after after I, I did that process for myself. And now I'm living in a dream, my dream home that I, I purchased for myself. And, you know, I just didn't allow myself not to believe that it was possible. I have a very similar, a very similar story. First of all, let me ask you this. Did you have a picture of your dream home on your fridge? I have it on my vision board. <laughs> whether it's on your vision board or whether it's on, but you, you seen it each and every day. Yeah. And right? I, and I also saw it in my mind. Yeah. yeah. And so that process of this is what I have done and uh, over the course of, you know, the last uh, 30, 34, 33 years, uh, I sit in the silence uh, early morning uh, for about a half an hour, no lights, just a piece of paper and a pencil. And I just sit in the silence and thoughts come to me, dreams come to me, solutions come to me, and I write them down. After I do that, I write my goals. I have 10, 10 goals that I would write faithfully each and every day. I would write them out, write them out, write them out each and every day. How much money I was going to make, what kind of house I was going to take, where I was going to go for a trip, what kind of vehicle I was going to drive, what kind of lifestyle I wanted to live, where I was going to take my wife and my children. I would write that down each and every day, my goals. Uh, and I would say to people that what you came upon, what you are, are doing with your uh, daily uh, writing is critical uh, to your uh, success in the future. It's, it's, it's really important. You actually, by doing that, accelerate uh, your success. Mm. And uh, the reason I know that is because I, I put pictures of the house I wanted to, my wife and I wanted to have. I put a picture of a car that I wanted to drive. I took a picture of Disney World Oh my fridge. God, me too. <laughs> and I took a picture uh, of the amount of money that I was going to make that year when I was selling real estate. I bought the car three months after that. We moved into the house six months after that. I took the family on a vacation to Walt Disney World in December, nine months after that. And by the end of the year, I had exceeded the amount of money that I wanted to make in sales. And this is 1989. And it, I, I put it all on the fridge. You can ask my wife and she'll tell you. And she could not believe it. My children, they couldn't believe it. But I believed it. And so it's a simple tool. It's a simple uh, way to get your uh, you know, steps uh, towards success going by putting a picture of what it is you want to be, have, and or do on your fridge. Why? Because we, the, the fridge door is the, the door that we open up more often than not, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's breakfast, whether it's lunch, whether it's supper. Uh, and so, uh, and, and I've repeated that uh, over and over on different things. Let me tell you, like I have many stories. My name is Ted Williams. If you look up, if you just Google Ted Williams, you won't see me. You'll see you'll, an athlete. You'll see an athlete. Mm -hmm. 
I was named after Ted Williams, who was the last man to hit 400 in the major leagues in 1941 with an average of 406. And uh, I was named by my neighbor, George Sawyer, who was a softball player in the 40s and the 50s. When I was born in 1956, he came across the road to my mom and dad and asked, what's the name of the boy? And my mom said, his name is Edward Anthony Williams. And my neighbor said, no, it's not. His name is Ted, after the great baseball player. He's, he's named after the great baseball player. So my neighbor called me Ted. And so as I grew, people would say, oh, you're named after the great Ted Williams. Great. I didn't even know who this guy was. I went to the library to find out that Ted Williams was the last man to hit 400. He was a home run hitter, a power hitter. He hit runs battered in, RBIs. Uh, he was a leader in that category. He hit it. He hit for an average. He rarely struck out. So I was like, wow, this guy was quite the athlete. So what I would do, because we, we had too many, uh, we couldn't afford to play baseball, but we could play softball. But I would, take, I would take a stick about the size of two fingers as a bat and a stone about the size of my thumb. And I would throw the stones up and hit it with the stick. And I would play this game. Over in the left-hand side was a big green willow tree stand. And if you ever looked up Boston Fenway Park, they've got what is called the Green Monster. Those green willow trees was monster. I imagined I was playing at Fenway Park, throwing the stones up and hitting it with a stick. And I imagined I was, I was Ted Williams. And so my hand-eye coordination to pick a stone out of the air with a stick, I could hit it left, I could hit it right, I could hit it straight down the middle, I could hit it high, I could hit it a line drive. And so my hand-eye coordination uh, was excelled because of practice and repetition. And so when it comes time to play softball, that I, I played softball uh, for many years, hitting a ball this big, <laughs> that big, coming at me at 50 to 60 miles an hour, it was a piece of cake. <laughs> and so I was the cleanup hitter. I was the home run hitter. I was the RBI man. I was the guy who hits for a high average and you couldn't strike me out. And so who do you think I became? Well, I became the great Ted Williams. Mm. I was the man on our softball team. And because you internalized Ted Williams is, is great. Yeah. It's greatness. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. You said something that really stood out to me and you said accelerated. So a lot of like when you're talking about, you know, subconscious and so I, I understood everything that you were saying, but something that is new to me is when you said accelerated, because that's something that I never really gave a lot of thought to. And now I'm realizing that, you know, when I've done these exercises and goal setting, now I'm realizing that there were certain times that I accelerated my, my goals when I put certain things into practice. Like I'm going to give you an example. And it's uh, when you said, well, Disney World, I also had that goal for myself. When I was a child, um, I was in grade three and there was a, a girl in my class and she had just come back from Walt Disney World and she had on her Mickey Mouse ears and she brought us all candy and she was showing us all pictures. And I remember longing to be her. I remember wishing that I could go to Disney World, knowing that I will never go there as a child because, you know, we didn't go on family vacations. We didn't travel. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't do that. We didn't have money for that. 
So I remember just knowing I would not go there as a child. But then I also remember thinking, but someday when I grow up, I can take my own children there. And I hung on to that. And I hung on to that. Um, well, one day I'll grow up and I'll, I, I can take myself there and my own kids. So when I had my daughter and it was just her and I for, for a long time, and I was going to school to become a teacher. And I remember saying to her, my girl, when you're nine years old, mom's going to take you to Disney World. And I thought, okay, that'll give me time to get a job, get an education and save up enough money to get us there. But by the time that she was nine years old, I had met somebody and we started having, we started building a family and we started having more and more children, like all, like between my husband and I, we have eight children. So it's just, you know, vacations again, it was, everything was put on the back burner and my daughter was getting older and I still was remembering that promise that I made to her. And so it was one year I decided I'm going to take a picture of the Magic Kingdom and I'm going to put it as my screensaver so that every time I opened my computer, which was every single day at work, there it was, the Magic Kingdom. And I said, I'm going to get me and my daughter there by the end of this year. So then by the end of that year, I had managed to um, save up enough money to take me and my daughter and then my other cousin who passed away I took her daughter to Disney World and she was 15 so you know it took that long like my daughter was 15 years old by the time that we had actually made it there but we ran around that Disney park like I was a child you know I ran yeah. around that park like that and then two years later I took all seven of my kids we had seven at the time all seven of my kids you know we went to to Disney World and I remember watching my children as the fireworks went off around the Magic Kingdom. And that was the absolute best moment of my life was seeing their faces. Me watching them while they watched the fireworks. And But now I'm realizing that I was finally able to accelerate that goal when I physically put it in front of me oh thank you for that it's, amazing it's, and so once you learn that with one goal you can take that and implement the same process in other facets and other goals in your life uh, i've done it many times i wanted to I, because i'm a golfer i wanted to live on a golf course i wrote it down in 1998 I built a 5,000 square foot home on the premier golf course in Aurelia, my, my hometown. And uh, we lived there for five years, six years. And then I wanted to uh, build uh, a nice home on the water. And um, if you look at my Facebook page, you'll see that I'm sitting and I take many pictures of the sunset because I live, we live on the water and in a nice home and so we when i say we my wife and i we consciously write down our goals uh and uh because as, as i said pictures and writing uh the more senses that you put into it the the clearer uh, the picture is the, the clearer the objective is and you begin to accelerate, you know, the activities uh, related to achieving uh, that goal. I, I need to tell you that you have to listen. You have to listen to the little voice within. The little voice within is never wrong. 
It tells you what feels good. It tells you what feels bad. And you need to act accordingly, depending on what it is, by the little voice sending you the message. It could be, you know, it could be called your super subconscious. And some people uh, call it uh, your intuition, but it's the little voice within that actually tells you what is good, what feels good. And in some cases, the solution to a problem is instantaneous. You need to take action on that right away. Write it down and take your action on it right away. Because if you don't, it's gone and it's lost forever. You can try to bring it back. Yeah but it is gone and it is lost. It may come back down the road in a different form, right? but at that particular time, it's gone and it's lost. Have you ever had instances where things like that come to you when you're driving and you either have to pull over or find some way to write it down? Yes, yes. That yes, happens I, to I, me. I, do. <laughs> I, I really pay attention to the little voice within. When I'm in meetings, when I'm doing my job, uh, when I'm negotiating, uh, I, I listen to the little voice within. I tap into it. And uh, even though sometimes you want to say, you want to withhold, you know, because you, you think, oh, geez, I don't know if this is the right time. Right. Or uh, it, it may sound a little quirky or uh, so maybe it's going to catch somebody off guard. and Or maybe they're going to think, you know, uh, something of me that I don't really want them to think. No, do it. Do it with integrity, do it with sincerity, and you'll be surprised how people react to it because they don't, they don't do the same thing that you, that you do. They, they work from a book, a manual. They don't necessarily listen to the little voice within, and that's your advantage, listening to the little voice within. You know, I'm thinking about so many times when I didn't listen to that voice. I can think of several times when I didn't listen to it and it's just, I felt like my progress was slowed down or mm -hmm. things came into my life that weren't meant for me or I was taken down paths I was, I didn't want to go down and, and it was all, you know, out of fear, yeah. just, it was fear, like fear yeah. of both, of listening to that voice that's telling you, you know, to be brave and, but we often allow that fear to take over it overrides yeah it overrides what we feel to be right at that particular time the fear the fear fear is one of the great motivators mm -hmm, though right. uh, you know and to sense that fear and say knock it out knock it out with a positive thought mm -hmm. you can only think of one thing at a time you cannot think of two things at the same time mm -hmm. and so when you catch yourself thinking about a negative thought bump it out right. with a with a positive thought you know it's like oh gee i don't know if they're gonna like this word or if i don't know if they're gonna like this and it's like no 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 hold, hold on say, no you know what this is unique this is great i think people will accept this it feels good let's do it and so you you knock it out yeah you just knock it out and and that creates or, or that the ability to do that is like your habit forming you need to do that on a regular basis so that it becomes Comes second habit. nature so second. the second that those negative thoughts come in they are chased out immediately with yes. yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah and it, and it will become habit right it will become habit and that's that's part of what I 
uh, when I when I talk this, I talk about creating positive habits. I talk about you know taking 20 days to, to build a new habit. Uh, you know, I've I've heard that a chicken will lay on an egg for 20 days straight uh, with faith, with belief, uh, and just 20 days straight lay on that egg, and then that egg hatches and life becomes. And so, if a chicken with a little brain, you know, not even the size of a pea, could sit there for 20 days surely we as humans with brain capacity that is, is in you know in, in, immeasurable <laughs> immeasurable surely we can do that and but it it does take some discipline uh to do that and how you get around that is wake up in the morning early write your goals each and every day and live your life the way that you want to live it each and every day listening to your little voice within each and every day it's, it may sound simple, uh, but it, it does take a certain amount of discipline to be able to do that. But once you do that, once you do that, you'll be surprised how your life will take off. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely astounding. It's incredible. It's, it's fulfilling. It's, I get, I mean, getting excited just thinking about it right now. <laughs> Me too. You know, um, one of the things I'll, I'll share is I wanted a Cadillac Escalade. So I was out um, vehicle shopping one time and I remember buying a truck that I had such awful credit at the time, you know, young, dumb and stupid. And I ended up having to pay probably like double for that truck that I got. You know, my interest rate was something like 19% or something. Anyway, so I remember I'm purchasing that truck. I'm like, I'm super excited. It's the first purchase that I've ever been able to do on my own um, with my husband. And there was a Cadillac Escalade parked inside the inside the, the, the vehicle place. And I remember going to sit inside of it. And it was the most beautiful vehicle I had ever seen in my life. And I was just looking around and thinking, oh, so luxurious. I hope I don't break anything while I'm sitting in here. But I just remember thinking, one of these days, I would love to have this type of vehicle. I would just love to have this type of vehicle. But I I also had it in my mind. And this is the thing. I also had it in my mind, but it's going to take a long time. So I kind of feel like those two thoughts together stuck with me. I did believe that someday I would have it, but I also believed it would take me a long time. So I kind of tied those two together. And I also did, I put it on my vision board and I now have, you know, my Cadillac Escalade sitting in, in my driveway. And, but it took a long time, like a really, really long time. So again, it's like, you also have to be mindful of those beliefs that we tie in you know, those are those negative beliefs that we also tie to ourselves. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to share, as you're talking about this story, I want to share something with you that is, uh, it's one of my favorite stories. I've got many, many stories, but it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, I used to sell real estate in 1989, 88, 89. And um, so the office was right on the corner of the main street, which was a busy street and the secondary street, which was another busy street. And beside the office on the right side was two parking spots with parking meters. On the far side was another two parking spots with parking meters. But it was like a 50 
50 foot walk to the office door, no more than. And then there was a municipal parking lot two blocks down. I worked in a busy office where there was 34 real estate agents, 34 colleagues of mine. And um, one day I walked into the office and my boss, the broker, calls me in and said, Teddy, come on in here. I need to talk to you. I'm like, what's up? What's going on, boss? You know, he says, your friends, your colleagues have asked me to have a chat with you. And I'm like, about what? Your friends and colleagues have noticed that every day you come into the office, you have either one of those two parking spots or one of these two parking spots each and every day. And so they want the same deal, Ted. Some of your real estate agents, some of your colleagues, they're older women, they're older men. They want to walk close to the office too. So what's the deal? And I said, um, there is no deal. <laughs> he says to me, well, there's got to be a deal because you're there every day, Teddy. I said, well, there is no deal. Well, how do you explain that you're there every day in one of those parking spots? And I kind of bit my lip like I'm doing now. And I'm like, <laughs> I can tell you, you're not going to believe me. He says, tell me. I said, Chris, his name was Chris. He was a big man. He was about six foot eight, six foot nine. He had a big hand, twice the size of mine. And I said, Chris, about an hour to an hour and a half before I leave my home, I visualize a parking spot for me, one of these four. And without fail, Chris, when I turn left off the secondary street going up the main street, the busy street, there's a parking spot there for me, either on that side or on the other side. One day I was at the lights ready to turn left and there was no parking spot. But as the light turned green, a lady came out of the store, jumped in her car, I let her jump in her car. She pulled away and it was like she was saving the parking spot for me <laughs> and I pulled into the parking spot. And my boss, he says, so you're trying to tell me that just by thinking about it, you can get a parking spot. That's hard to believe, he says. And I said to him, Chris, the nice thing about it is this. It doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what I believe. I will get a parking spot there tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that <laughs> because I've proven that I can do it. And my, my boss said, will you share that with the sale at the sales meeting on Monday with your colleagues? He says, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to ask you what you're drinking out in Rama, what you're smoking. He says, they're going to ride you. I said, well, will you share that story? I said, yeah, I'll share it. He says, I know it's a risk for you. He says, but you're, you're a confident man, so... So I, I, I shared that story with them. And uh, sure enough, they were non-believers. They, what are you drinking? What are you smoking? I need some of that stuff. Uh, must be good stuff you got there, Teddy. You know, and uh, then Chris, my boss, he gets up, he slams his fist into the table and he says, you people, you asked me to find out what was going on with Teddy. You know what I did? I went to the stores. I asked the stores, what's the deal with Teddy Williams? This guy who has this Cutlass Supreme Rome. He He's there all the time. What's the deal? And they said, we don't know. He's there every day. He puts his quarter in the meter on both sides. We don't know. We don't have a deal with him. And so anyway, my boss said to my colleagues, if you want to know what Teddy Williams is doing, I suggest you talk to him because right this moment, Teddy Williams is out selling each and every one of you in real estate. So come and talk to him. Out of the 34 agents, one young girl came and talked to me. Mm. And I said, this is going to take some time. It's going to take a couple of days for two or three hours. But I, I will share with you what I do. And so she spent the time and I shared with her what I do. And six months later, 
she's salesperson of the month. She gets up and she tells the story about Teddy was talking about how he gets his parking spots and he, we had a chance to talk to him. So I went and talked to him. He told me what he was doing. I implemented what he was doing. And here I am, salesperson of the month. No one ever did come and talk to me after that, which is a sad, sad thing. But, uh, you know, because I'm more than willing to share. More than willing to share. And Some people just aren't, you know, open or ready to receive the information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you know, I, I I bought a house with no money down. We bought a house with no money down. When you're talking about your dream house, uh, my wife. Uh, now, when I first started selling real estate, this was after I finished my first term on council. And it's hard when you're not reelected, and it's hard when you're not um, when you lose an election in your home community, and you work so hard yeah. for your community. It's difficult. Yeah. Uh, and I had a I had a difficult time accepting that. Mm -hmm. But I had to move on. Anyway, as I'm selling real estate, we were in, I was about seven months in, I, I sold two houses in the first first week that I had my license in September 1988. I didn't sell another one until March. I work and live on commission. Mm -hmm. If I don't sell and closing is 60 to 90 days, that's when you get paid. Well, that's that's a long time to go without food. Yeah. So we borrowed from uh, family uh, to keep us going. And then I stumbled across this material that I, I use. And after I went and got went through this course, I got the material and I started implementing I sold a house within four days. I sold another house the next week, sold another house the week after that. And that's the way it went for the rest of the year. And we went to Disney and bought the house and bought the car and made the money that I, I wanted to make. But we, we, uh, we had a little house on the reserve. And we know that the only people that, who can buy a house on the reserve is only other members of the reserve. And our house was, a little house was worth $40,000 at the time. And we decided to move into town. And we found a house. It was a $180,000 house. And my wife, we looked at it. It was a, it was a friend's house. And she really wanted to, to buy this house. And so we looked at it and she said, what am I thinking? We can't buy this house. We don't have any money. And I said to her, why don't we make an offer? Very similar to your story. And she said, well, we don't have any money. I said, we don't know that. She said, no, no, no. I know that. I know the bank account. And so let's make an offer conditional on financing. So we made an offer conditional on financing. The offer was accepted. I went to my boss. I got a letter that says, I'm going to make this much money. I took it to the bank and the bank said, you can have this much as far as carrying a mortgage. So I got a mortgage guarantee. Uh, I needed down payment. I needed a down payment, which was about 25%, which was $45,000. Our little house, I put out the word that it's for sale on the reserve and only people on the reserve could buy the house. Nobody's walking around $45,000 on, on my reserve at that time in 1989. But what happened was as uh, fate would have it, I went to a friend and I asked the friend to loan me $45,000 so I can close the deal in this house. And he said, well, how, how are you going to pay me back? He knew the situation on the reserve because he had done some work with us in the past. And I said, I'm going to rent the house and any money that I get for the rent, I will pay to you. He says, I, I don't normally do this. He says, why are you asking me this? I said, if I don't ask you, I know what the answer is, 100%. It's, it's no. I said, but if I ask you, the odds are now 50%. 50, you're going to say yes, or 50, you're not going to say no. <laughs> so, so I'm playing the odds that you're going to say yes, 50%. He looked at me and he said, you know what, Teddy? Uh, I'm going to give you the money. 
He gave me the $45,000. We wrote up a contract. I took it to the bank. We closed the house on the 29th of September, 1989. That's a Friday. We're in a house with no money of our own. 1,800 square foot home, three bedrooms, two and a half bath, two car garage in a nice neighborhood. It was the dream house. <laughs> I go out to the reserve uh, on the following Monday. I'm, I'm got to clean it up so that we can get it ready for renting. And, and a fellow from the reserve comes up to me and uh, he, he had a good job and his wife had a good job. And he says to me, I hear you're selling the house. And I said, yes. He said, I want to buy it. And I'm like, okay. And the lady that I got the mortgage off of, she uh, does loans, personal loans. So I told him, I said, go to this lady, talk to her about a personal loan. And if you can carry it, she will give you the money. So that was at 9.30 on a Monday. He comes back at about 11.30, quarter to 12. And he says to me, hey, guess what? I said, what? I got the money. And I'm like, I'm trying not to get too excited. <laughs> he says, yeah, I got the money. She's going to give me the, the money. He says, the only thing I need is, uh, uh, she said it's called uh, an agreement of purchase and sale. Do you know what that is? And I'm like, I sell real estate. That's what I do. Can you, he says, can you write that up? I said, of course. So I wrote it up. And we know that people in the First Nation community on the reserves, when you get to selling real estate or buying real estate transactions, it's like some terminology they're, it's, they're unfamiliar. So when I got to the closing date, I said to him, when do you want this to close? He's like, what does that mean? When do you want to give me the money and I will give you the key and we will close this deal? In the real, real estate industry, 60 to 90 days is normal. And, uh, but on the reserve, it's like you just pay your hydro bill, your garage bill. And <laughs> that's it. It's yours. <laughs> and he says, well, um, how about tomorrow and i'm like i'm not trying to get too excited and i'm like yeah nope tomorrow works for me he said okay i'll be here tomorrow with the check he says and you can give me the key deal so he shows up gives me the gives me the check i give him the key it's his house i give him the certificate of possession it's his house i call my friend up who loaned me the money and i said to him uh, can i come and see you and he says sure i said i've got something for me for you. He was about a half an hour away. So I went, we went to his house and I had a nice envelope and it had the certified check in it to repay him. And he thought it was a thank you card. He says, you don't have to do that. Teddy, you don't have to do that. I said, no, no, no. I want you to have this. And I, I said, bring in your wife. And she says, Susan, come on in here. Teddy's got it, you know, gift for us. And so I said, I want you to open it. So he says, you didn't have to do this. I said, no, I did. So he opened up the envelope. And in the envelope was the certified check to pay him back the money that he loaned me to buy the house. And he's like, what? <laughs> two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, he says, you didn't have a pot to you know what in. And now you, you're in a house, $180,000 house. And it, how did you make that happen? And this is, this is the secret, right? This is the secret. You have to have belief and you have to have faith in yourself. And people, places, circumstances, and situations will throw themselves at you. They, you will attract them to you. And you have to listen to the little voice within to make the right decision to make things happen to achieve your goals. Oh, that's amazing. You know, um, that belief 
it's hanging on to that belief was what helped me finish writing my book because it was such a hard process and I didn't realize how hard it was, you know, to write a novel. And, but I, I hung on to that belief and I would not allow myself to not even for one second, not even for a second, would I ever allow myself to believe that it wasn't possible because I figured if, if I believed that I couldn't do it, then I might as well just not even try. So I had to, you know, I had to keep believing. And that's such a hard thing to do sometimes when things seem impossible. But it's that belief that carries you through that, you know, those hard times. The nice thing about what I'm talking about is there is a blueprint for it. And I give it away almost to people that I talk to on a casual basis. Whether they do something with it or not, it's up to them. Because they're, they're like, wow, uh, okay, you know, and it's like, hey, mm-hmm. you know it's up to you. It's up to you. It is possible. Whatever you are able to dream, whatever you're able to imagine can become reality for you. And we're willing to share that with you and, and, and show you how, how to do it and give you the, the steps, right? Because as Indigenous people, as First Nations people, uh, no one has any more brain capacity than you. Mm-hmm. No, no one. I know that for a fact. I know that for a fact. Yeah. You've got a, I've got a litany of stories that actually <laughs> bear all of that out. Um, you know, it's, it's how I became a professional golfer, how I became a professional artist. I carved with a chainsaw, uh, you know, um, just... Uh, there's just so many so many stories where did this knowledge come from that you have about this this type of thinking and in mindset really it comes from reading i'm looking at your uh, your little saying in the back there about writing a book to begin, begin writing oh my my goals yeah um, behind me get a book <laughs> advance to begin writing i read a lot i read in the morning uh, and um, I read uh, in- inspirational, educational, motivational material. Uh, I listen to a lot of audio and video. Uh, people like Anthony Robbins, for instance. Uh, you know, I, I met him in the airport. Oh, you did? Wow. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, here we are. Like, I see this big, tall guy going by, and I'm like, that's that guy. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. After he left and he, went, he walked by, I'm, I was with two other colleagues. We were going to Calgary. We are at the airport. And I, I stopped and I, I said, watch my bags. I, I, I got to go back and talk to him. I said, what are you going to say to that guy? I just got to go say hi. So he's he's getting some salad at one of the restaurants there, a little food out there. And he senses that I'm there, excuse me. And so he turns around, he looks at me, and I put my hand out. And I said, Anthony Robbins, Ted Williams, good to meet you. And he says, Ted Williams, uh, the great baseball player, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right? And uh, he says, Ted, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, I've been walking around this airport for a little while. I hear people talking about me. They say, oh, there's that guy. This is... He says, you are the only one to come up and say hi. Can I ask you why you said hi? And I said, because of your book, The Power Within. In your book, you talk about seize the day, seize the moment, carpe diem. Uh-huh. When you walked by me the first time, I kicked myself because I didn't listen to the little voice within. And I had to make up for it. So I chased you down. And... He says, you know what, Teddy? He says, here's my card. He says, um, do you have the book? And I said, yes. He says, send it to me in the mail, and I will autograph it, and I will send it back. And so 
when I got home after my trip to Calgary, I sent the book to his address. And uh, a few weeks later, I get a I get a package like this, and it was his his twelve cassette set. Oh wow! Right? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you know. And so I listened to that material. I would I I would only buy a car in in the 80s and the 90s that had a cassette tape in it because I needed to play the cassettes whenever I was on the road selling real estate or traveling I always listened to cassettes and or CDs now and or uh, my uh, iPod or you know Spotify now because we spend a lot of time in the vehicle, the vehicle and you right. need to spend your time uh, wisely and yeah. so turn turn your car into a, a university on wheels by listening to educational inspirational motivational material and the more you do that then the more that material actually becomes you and you begin to change who you are right I, I listen to audiobooks all the time when I drive. Uh, so your story really reminds me, okay, I'm going to share this story. It's it's going to sound crazy and silly, but um, okay. Uh, Louise Hay was doing this conference and I really wanted to go and it was in Florida and I wanted to attend. And then I was like, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to make it to Florida, you know, in November, right before Christmas. It's, you know, it's just not going to happen because, um, you know, it's Christmas time. I have to save money for my kids. And weird chain of events happened. I end up in Florida in November on the days that she's giving the conference. But what do I do? I don't go. I don't go to her conference. And then um, long story short, uh, I didn't get a chance to go again because she passed away. And I didn't take advantage of that. And then, okay, so Wayne Dyer's in Edmonton. And I'm thinking, oh, I really want to go see him in his uh at his conference and go watch him. I didn't go. I again passed up an opportunity and that I could have easily gotten myself to Edmonton. It doesn't cost um, that much to get to Edmonton from Winnipeg, like, like, you know, not even $200. And I didn't go. And he ends up freaking passing away. And it's like, oh my gosh. And then I'm like thinking like, what are you doing? Why are you not taking advantage of these opportunities? I'm not listening to that little voice. Mm -hmm. So then Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming to Winnipeg and he's coming for that made for success tour. And I love, there's this awesome video of Arnold Schwarzenegger that I love to watch over and over and over again. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. I am buying myself a ticket to that event and I am going so I did. I bought myself a ticket. I even paid the big bucks, like $750, so that I could sit in the front and that I could have lunch, you know, out with him at the at the table. And I'm all excited. I'm in. And then all of a sudden, COVID hits. And it gets canceled. Everything gets refunded. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So anyway, now, what ends up happening is, lo and behold, I am now creating my own event. You know, I'm like, you know what, this is, I'm just going to create an event and I'm going to bring my own motivational speakers, Indigenous motivational speakers, and create a space for people like me mm -hmm. to come and learn from our own people and be inspired and motivated by our own people. And, you know, I, I don't have to be running off 
to these exotic places, you know, trying to listen to, to these people. And I'm, and I'm going to create a space for, for us. And that is why I'm hosting this event in December 2nd. I'm hosting this event. It's called Driving Well Indigenous. And how I want to end this segment is um, I want to tell you, Ted, that, you know, you reaching out to me and having uh, an interest in, in the event and, you know, wanting to, to come and watch and me listening to your story. What I forgot to tell you is that yesterday, actually last night, I had somebody call and cancel one of my speakers. Um, one of my speakers canceled on me. And um, uh, now there's a space open. And so today I'm like, I have to find somebody to fill this space. And I believe that that somebody is you. And I'm inviting you to come and share that space with us and share all of your knowledge. I'd love to. I was seriously, when I, I seek out people of similar thinking. And your page came across, and I'm like, I gotta, look, I gotta investigate this because this sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, you know what? There's, there's other individuals, myself included, who thought we need to create this opportunity for the indigenous uh, leader, uh, the indigenous uh, learner, the indigenous community, the First Nation community. Because there's a lot of brilliant minds out there. I've come across them. I've come across them. People who have excelled, people who have achieved, uh, people who are hilarious. So when I, I read your poster, I'm like, wow, this is cool. Mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> and and that's why I reached out to you. And I like it so much. It's like, no, I, I you know, I, I, I just want to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because it's important work uh, that you're doing. You may not realize how important it is, but it is so critical uh, to changing people's lives. Whether it's one or two from that event, I know from myself because I changed the impact that I had on a number of people, right? And so the work that you're doing, the event that you're putting on, I think it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic people are going to storm in there they're going to walk out of there and they're going to say yes of course we have talent in the indigenous community there it is it's right there yes yes thank you and I'm so glad that um, you're going to be a part of it and I'm so glad that you were able to join us on the podcast today we could definitely keep talking for another hour but I'm so excited to for everybody to hear all of this on in December. So thank you so much. And where can we find you if anybody wants to follow you or connect with you? Um, how well, how can they connect with you? I'm uh, I'm on Instagram as well under Ted Williams. Okay. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Ted Williams. Now, when you when you do the the Ted Williams, you might want to do Ted Williams Rama. Because yeah. you get Ted Williams, the ball player. Right. Uh, I'm on uh, Facebook with uh, Ted Williams uh, as well. And then I'm on Twitter, Ted Williams. Uh, again, it's under Makwa44. Uh, that's my uh, my handle there. And let's see, I have uh, uh, Muskoka Pro Chainsaw Carving uh, is another one that, uh, another Facebook site. Uh, 
it's not I don't use it very often. And then if you want to read more of the stories, uh, I have a little blog out there that uh, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention, but it's there. And some of the stories that I've shared with you are on that blog. And uh, uh, the other stories are also on uh, Ted Williams uh, uh, in Business Achievement, uh, so on Facebook. Awesome. And Thank some, you. some of the stories that I have shared with you, you will find them on my blog. You can find them on LinkedIn uh, and uh, just browse around uh, to your enjoyment because some of the stories that I've shared with you today, I've put on um, social media. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ted. And we will see you in December. Looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. Thank you for listening. And I hope you were able to find a takeaway from this episode. Don't forget to share with a friend who may need some motivation today or share on your social media and inspire all your friends. And if you'd like some live inspiration, join us on December 2nd in Winnipeg at our live event. Just visit www.jillfeatherstone.com for details. Bye for now.